Good afternoon. Welcome to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Hope you're having a nice Friday living through this episode of South Park. South Park Cows Talk Plus or something like that. Uh, They also left the cameras on after the William Liu show. So I have to look at myself, which is uh, not great. It's all right, though. Certainly better than the Jays game was last night. Being here with you guys, talking it through for the next two hours. Jays play tonight at 10 o'clock. As a reminder, that game will not be on Sportsnet Television. It is, you need uh, a free Apple TV Plus. Uh, It'll be Steven Nelson, Katie Nolan, Hunter Pence on the call for that one. I think we're going to have that game on the Rogers. Sportsnet, Sportsnet Radio Network. Um, stay tuned for updates around that right now. That's currently the plan. So um, stick or, stick around for that at 10 o'clock uh, with Ben Wagner. We've got a couple fun guests coming up a little later. Uh, Dan Schulman is going to join us from Seattle. Give us a little taste of how that felt around the team yesterday as the Jays lose their sixth in the last seven. I'm going to talk to Hanifa Durakib one of my very favorite writers and poets and the world's foremost collector of Ken Griffey Jr. shoes and cleats. Maybe we'll see uh, if that claim holds up. We'll talk to him in a bit. Um, The Jays lose last night, eight to three. Not great. They've lost six of the last seven. And of course the talking points have been on the pitching side because you say Kikuchi is phantom injury listed to create a roster spot to get someone else up. Casey Lawrence is the follower, the bulk guy, whatever you want to call it after Anthony Bonda. Uh, not exactly shocked that using Anthony Bonda as an opener fresh off the waiver wire from Pittsburgh after a team like the Rays gave up on him. I was shocked that that didn't work. And it puts you in a terrible position where Casey Lawrence who's supposed to be getting you a bulk innings has to enter the game rushed and with runners on base. And not that I think Casey Lawrence would have given you five clean relief innings otherwise, but everything about how that one played out yesterday was frustrating. If predictable, the pitching situation is probably not going to get better anytime soon. Ross stripling will start tonight. He's been very, very good since moving into the rotation. He's given you just about everything you could hope for, but they're probably not going to let him see a lineup a third time through. So you're looking at best case scenario, maybe he gives you six and he's really efficient and you let him see the one, two, maybe three guys at the top of the order one extra time. They've done that a couple times. They've trusted him to do that, but he hasn't gone further than the fifth guy in the order a third time through, and that's been, it's been pretty rare for him to go past uh, the second batter in the order a third time. So on top of yesterday, where you have to cobble together everything with Trevor Richards and David Phelps and Max Castillo, who maybe came out earlier than he would have otherwise because you'd like him to be available Sunday in the event that Kevin Gosman can't go. Gosman's going to throw a bullpen today or a side session, sounds like, uh, to judge where his foot and ankle are at. Uh, he had an MRI yesterday that came back clean once again, but it's about comfort and pain tolerance uh, for him 
as you look ahead to Sunday. You obviously won't have Yusei Kikuchi uh, in the mix there. That's normally his day. But in addition to potentially moving Gosman back to that day, uh, the Jays put Kikuchi on the IL. And uh, you guys know what the starting depth looks like at AAA. You've seen Casey Lawrence yesterday. You've seen Max Castillo in multi-inning relief. And he's looked pretty good. He had great numbers at AA and AAA this year. We talked to a couple prospect people about him. And, you know, he's certainly not someone who projects as a future ace or anything like that. But the little bit of extra velocity, the changes in the off-field regimen, they seem to be working. And you don't need Max Castillo to be a six-inning, two-earned run guy. You just need Max Castillo to eat innings and keep you competitive in ball games. I think he's shown you enough that you're okay trying that if you need to. Certainly more so than Thomas Hatch or another kick at the Anthony Bond at Casey Lawrence train. Matt Peacock also looms. The Jays claimed him off waivers and sent him to AAA the other day. There's some, I, I know probably none of you want to hear this after the Anthony Bonda experience yesterday because we heard that there might be some stuff in the profile the Jays like about Bonda and think they can get more of. Uh, there's a little bit with Peacock's slider that maybe the Jays think they could get a bit more out of. I don't know how likely it is that that works. This is a guy who doesn't miss a lot of bats, even with that slider, Um, but it doesn't get hit very hard. And it's possible at least that he could throw it a bit more and get better results. We'll see. That's a guy, another guy that if he can step in and give you a couple innings here and there, you're thrilled. But realistically, it's a waiver wire claim from Kansas city. So I say all this not to be super negative about the rest of the weekend, but just uh, no pressure, Ross Stripling, tonight as you... I did not expect that, Derek. Um, <laughs> that's, a, that's a good one. Um, so no pressure on Ross Stripling. A little bit of pressure on uh, Kevin Gosman to be able to make that start Sunday. And if it's not him, maybe it's Max Castillo. Uh, maybe they've got to juggle things a little bit more. Now... The pitching struggling as it has and the juggling of roster spots has maybe masked the fact or or knocked down the concern index, the fact that the offense really hasn't been very good either. They scored three runs yesterday. They kind of half-threatened late, but it was kind of one of those Raptors fake comebacks. They have, over this one-and-six stretch, scored, I think, 17 runs. Charlie Montoyo spoke about that after the game. He said, they're trying to be too aggressive. That's what happens when you're behind. In too many of these games, we've been behind early. So Charlie Montoyo's thinking is that because the pitching has struggled early in games, that has bled into the hitters pressing at the plate, trying to do a little bit too much. The old George Springer thing applies of you can't hit a five-run home run or you can't hit a grand slam with the bases empty, whatever that is. Poor paraphrasing there on my part. But the Jays' offense, if that's the case, if they are pressing, if they are trying to do too much while behind, you know, this is where we talk about what role the manager has here in 2022. We talk about what there is to criticize them about or, or not criticize them about as front offices put their hands on more day-to-day stuff, as the coaching staffs expand, I think that's a case where, yeah, you're looking at the manager and the hitting coach and the hitting strategist, and you're trying to remind these guys that you can't, 
Like you're not going to one swing your way back in when Anthony Bonda and Casey Lawrence get you behind big early. You've got to kind of stick to what has you as a top five offense in baseball all season. And what changed after the Jays kind of cold start to turn them into the best offense in baseball from late May to the end of June. Some of it was better results on, on the same kind of stuff, but a lot of it was also the strikeouts were down. The walks were up. The pitches per plate appearance didn't necessarily jump, but you dig into each individual and maybe with the exception of Bo Bichette, it was a lot of being selectively aggressive, being aggressive with a certain pitch or a certain part of the zone. Um, and, you know, maybe I shouldn't single out Bo Bichette as not sticking to that because there was a stretch there where he was just pounding anything breaking. He was just staying off fastballs and, and hammering sliders and curveballs. Bo Bichette is probably a, a good bellwether for the rest of the offense just because, you know, he is the most aggressive hitter that they have. And it does stand out when he jumps early in counts. And it's the top of the order, so it kind of sets the sets the tone for things. Uh, you also haven't had George Springer the last couple of days as he deals with aches and pains or whatever they're calling it. It's uh, I'm certainly not going to talk anyone off the ledge if they're worried about George Springer missing multiple games in a row due to general soreness. You can do your How I Met Your Mother salute there, general soreness. The Jays are in a bad way. One and six in their last seven. Ross Stripling starting tonight. A big question mark on Sunday around Kevin Gosman. And Saturday, you've got Alec Manoa, who's your guy, right? That's the, that is the guy you want in there when things aren't going well for the team as a whole. And he'll be facing a red-hot Robbie Ray, who has really turned things around. We talked to Mikey Ahedo yesterday about what's gone into Robbie Ray figuring out that early season slump. And learning how to pitch with a little less velocity, working that sinker a little more effectively, amping up the number of sliders he throws. This Jays lineup is built to hammer lefties. The last couple weeks, as my colleague on the Fan Morning Show, J.D. Bunkus, has pointed out, Jays are a bottom five offense against left-handed pitching. And with the exception of Shane McClanahan, none of those pitchers are Robbie Ray's tier. This is a, a degree of difficulty higher than the Cole Irvins of the world. And yeah, Marco Gonzalez is having a really nice season, but it's Marco Gonzalez. It's a, it's a guy who throws 89, 90, and it's more about deception than blowing it by you. Robbie Ray is going to throw hard, and he's going to have that nice breaking slider. And now that he's playing the sinker well off of both of those pitches, I don't know that things get easier. Uh, George Kirby is going to go Sunday from the sounds of it. They're going to bump Chris Flexen back. We'll see how that goes. Um, at least you only have Logan Gilbert to worry about as well in the mix there. Um, it's, a, it's a tough spot for the Jays. There are three games left in the series. Guess how many games back the Mariners are of the Toronto Blue Jays for the final wildcard spot? Three. I don't think they get swept this weekend, but you're letting other teams back in the wildcard race. And what's happened over this one and six stretch, and you can go back a little further than that if you want. Um, the Jays haven't been playing the, the best of baseball the last couple weeks. The Jays went from being the top wildcard seed 
and the AL East has been out of reach. We don't, you don't need to really bemoan that they're not going to be able to catch up to the Yankees at this point. But the target then should have been, you want to be the top wildcard team and you want to be the top wildcard team because you get home field in what's going to be close to a 50, 50 series. You get the lesser opponent. And when it comes to the standings watch and it's early ish, but it's past the halfway point of the season. If Seattle is looking up at you and they're three games back, there's a world of difference between Seattle being three games back of you and you're the next team in their crosshairs or Seattle's three games back of you and they also have to jump two teams because that means three teams have to jump you. Uh, The Jays are now behind the Red Sox and the Rays. They got to turn this around. The Red Sox have uh, just a remarkably hard schedule ahead. I think they have 16 left against the Yankees in the second half of the season. Good luck. But I don't think you can rely on that if you're the Toronto Blue Jays uh, to do much for you other than, you know, lower the bar to, oh, you got to be well above 500 instead of extremely (laughs) above 500. Uh, In other words, the Jays need to turn this around. There's no real hiding it. And you can look back on recent years and recent playoff runs for the Jays or playoff pushes even. And it's not worth panicking. This is baseball. It's a very long season. These stretches happen. It feels like the season is ending when you're in the middle of it. And you can look back to 2015. They were 500 when they made the bulk of those additions. They also had a run differential of like plus 100. um, So they profiled as a much better team. Last year, same kind of thing. You're heading into the stretch. um, You haven't performed quite to your run profile or your talent level or your if you you want to talk to our old pal Pythagoras and look at your Pythagorean win-loss record uh, you weren't performing to that and there are indicators that you're going to be better 2016 another year where um, there was some panic and it seemed premature in retrospect however this year's team doesn't have those same underlying indicators this is not a team that's blowing out teams in their wins and losing narrowly in their losses. They're not a team that projects ahead as a dynamo like the 2015 team did. Now, as of two days ago, Dan Zimborski at Fangraphs still projected the Jays for a playoff spot using his Zips model. The Jays projected out to 88 wins at that point. Ask a Jays fan if they're comfortable with 88 wins being the total to get them into the playoffs when things are as tight as they are. I don't think so. Uh, Maybe it gets you there with the extra playoff spots. I'm not saying that that's not possible. I'm just saying that a projection of 88 wins from here is not going to make anyone comfortable. And I think that speaks to the Jays having underperformed a little bit because their projection before the season was 91 or 92 wins. And if they had underperformed relative to um, their kind of underlying stats, you would still see a pretty robust projection from them from here. But the projections now say, yeah, they are what you've seen. They're a high 80s win team, which is nothing to sneeze at, but the expectations are higher here. The We talked a lot in the offseason, and J.D. Ailish and I talked about this a lot on the Fan Morning Show. To use a Pat Rileyism, last year and the year prior, that was the innocent climb. That's you've got a bunch of young guys who are gelling together, who are finding themselves, who are becoming good. You've got a front office who is trying to decide when the the leverage point is to start adding meaningfully to compete. 
That was the last two years. They signaled it early with the Ryu signing. They followed it big time this year with going out and getting Matt Chapman for four prospects, signing Kevin Gosman, trading for Jose Barrios and then extending him, signing Yusei Kikuchi. All of those, you, you can quibble with the results of those, certainly. Kevin Gosman's delivered I th- most of Matt Chapman's batted ball stuff and, and hitting profile stuff suggests that he's going to be the hitter he is by the end of the season. He's He's been one of the least fortunate hitters in baseball in terms of very loud outs or, or balls that just die at the warning track. We'll have Dan Schulman on a little later, and, and that's something Dan's been tracking closely because Matt Chapman has spent half a season ripping the ball and not getting those results, and the defense is the defense with Matt Chapman. You're okay. You're you're fine with that one. You're happy with the Gosman thing so far. The Kikuchi one is tough. The Brios one has been tough. Regardless, though, what all of those moves signaled is that the innocent climb is over, and there are now expectations for this team. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. confirmed as much heading into the year, saying that last year was the trailer, this year's the movie. And he doesn't control everything himself, but he's not playing at the MVP candidate level that he played last year. Uh, Bobachet is not playing at the level he played last year where he was in the conversation for one of the best young shortstops in baseball. He's been a league average hitter, which is fine at shortstop in a vacuum, but the expectations are higher here. George Springer has been great, but you're starting to see the extra off days here and there now as they try to keep him healthy for 162. Alejandro Kirk has been one of the best surprises in baseball and is going to probably start the all-star game for the American league. But other than him and, and maybe the second base platoon of Espinal and Biggio or, or what was the second base platoon entering the season, short of those guys, no one's really overperformed other than Alejandro Kirk on the hitting side. We talked to Ben Nicholson Smith on Tuesday about who's overperformed the most, who's underperformed the most, who are you looking forward to giving the biggest boost in the second half. We might replay a little bit of that later, depending on how the show goes and how we're feeling. And if we get any Jays uh, updates again, it's a 10 o'clock game. So I don't think we'll get things like lineups, maybe not even roster moves live on the show here. So we might replay a chunk of that Ben Nicholson Smith one, because it is still kind of the midway week and Ben's insight is always um, very valued here. Anyway, the Jays have lost six of seven. The expectations are higher than also ran this year. This is a team that, is probably feeling it. And you've heard from Charlie Montoyo recently a couple times. He sounded pretty frustrated. He sounded frustrated with the Yusei Kikuchi situation. He sounded frustrated with his hitters being back where they were earlier in the year, where they're being over aggressive and getting away from what made them so successful. And it's got to be frustrating. And this is very true for Kikuchi, but also for the, the lineup as a whole in the macro is, well, you saw what brought better results and you went away from it. Hitting is more difficult than that. It's, this is baseball. It's 162 games. You know, I I was talking to Will Liu and Alex Wong uh, earlier in the day, and they kind of asked, what's going on? And it's like, well, a one and six stretch in baseball is like the Raptors dropping three in a row. It's not great, but in the grand scheme, it's not going to sink your season. And the the real Raptors parallel is uh, losing all your games to the Pistons and then losing all your games to uh, the Oakland Athletics, or two of three, rather. Seattle Mariners are a 500 team. There's nothing wrong with losing to them uh, or coming out of this series two and two, but 
there is a larger cloud hanging over things as the struggles continue, as the, maybe not even struggles, struggles this week, but you could call it just the mediocrity of, of the last couple weeks or just a little bit of underperformance for the entire season so far. They're in the final wildcard spot with a three-game cushion and half a season to go. A couple weeks to the trade deadline. I would imagine reinforcements are coming for sure in the bullpen. We talked to Shai Davidi yesterday. He sounded like a guy who's ready to kind of flip his research for his articles over from reliever to starting pitcher at some point in the next couple weeks too. The one thing they can control, though, they can't control the health of their pitchers. They can't control that, at least for right now, the reliever market isn't moving and your reinforcements are the Sergio Romo, Anthony Bonda, Matt Peacock type available for free or for cash considerations or a waiver claim. The lineup is the lineup, though. It's an offense that projected to be top five heading into the year that has been top five on balance this year, but has been in absentia the last week or so. If you're feeling frustrated as a Jays fan, I get it. And I think they're probably feeling it too. 17 runs over the last seven games, struggling even against lefties, which is what this lineup is built to mash. And in Charlie Montoyo's estimation, pressing a lot because the pitching hasn't been there, especially early in games and playing from behind, you know, it's, it's kind of more of a basketball and hockey thing, score effects, uh, at least when the gaps are, are narrow. And what I mean by score effects is, you know, if you're a basketball team and you're down 12, you might start shooting more threes to try to shoot your way back into it. And that's not, over the long haul, maybe that's not a good strategy for your offense. So you could run, you run the risk of falling behind even further. Or you put in bench guys and you run the risk of falling behind further. In hockey, it's more of a, if you're down two goals, you're going to play a more aggressive style to try to get something back. And, and that might sacrifice your defense. We tend not to think of that as much in baseball, except that once the lead gets a certain gap, you're bringing in worse relievers. You're just trying to get through the game. Maybe you give a guy a couple innings off. It's not as often that you hear, well, hitters are struggling because the team's down and they're pressing. If Charlie Montoyo's estimation is accurate, well, that's that's almost a good thing because then you you can fix that pretty easily. You can just look at what the middle of May until the end of June looked like where the Jays were the best offensive baseball. You hope that this changes quickly because the Mariners are good and there are three more games left in this series. Julio Rodriguez, uh, if you didn't stay up for the J-Rod show last night, I highly encourage you to check it out and watch it closely these next three games. Yeah, maybe maybe it's not the best as a Jays fan to see Julio Rodriguez do that, but he is quickly becoming one of the coolest and most fun and most must-see baseball players in the league. Fitting that he's a Seattle Mariner because to age myself a little bit here, when I was first becoming a baseball fan, that guy was Ken Griffey Jr. That was also the case for Hanif Abdurraqib, one of my very favorite writers and poets and essayists who is a huge Ken Griffey Jr. fan and a huge Ken Griffey merch collector. We're going to talk to Hanif about his baseball fandom, about that Ken Griffey Jr. connection, and about the modern Seattle Mariners next on Jays Talk Plus on Sports at 590, The Fan. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. 
I'm Blake Murphy. The Toronto Blue Jays continue a series tonight with the Seattle Mariners. As a reminder, that's not a Sportsnet television broadcast. That's on Apple TV+. Plus. It's free. Check it out. Our pal Steven Nelson, Hunter Pence, Katie Nolan, uh, and on the Sportsnet Radio Network, Ben Wagner will have it for you. Last night was a little taste of how fun the Seattle Mariners have been of late and really all season if you're a Julio Rodriguez fan and who isn't. It makes you think back to another young, exciting, hit for power, run for speed, field at an elite level Seattle Mariner, Ken Griffey Jr. Who better to remember Ken Griffey Jr. with and see some parallels with Julio Rodriguez than have then my pal Hanif Abdurraqib. Uh, Hanif is one of my very favorite writers, poets, critics. Uh, you can check out his stuff at The Crown Ain't Worth Much. They Can't Kill Us Till They Kill Us. Um, what is the one I just read? A Little Devil in America. Um, Hanif, how are you, man? Nice to talk to you again. Hey, Blake. Thanks for having me. It's good to talk to you again. Okay, so before we get into any baseball stuff, I got to ask you. I know I know you teased it a little bit on, on Twitter recently, but... What can you tell me about the new Wonder Years project? <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, I, I'm like, uh, I can't give away too much, but I will say that if you're like a fan of the band, and if you, especially if you've been a fan of the band, I would say in their, what I call like era three Wonder Years, which I think encapsulates um, No Closer to Heaven and Sister City, then I think you're really going to love The Home Goes On Forever because it's kind of a, uh, you know, it's, it's really uh, the one thing about the Wonder Years is you've gotten to watch them grow up, and they've like really taken to the task of growing up. Where I think a lot of bands in the pop punk realm are content just kind of coasting off of nostalgia, which you know I don't begrudge that. We all coast <laughs> off nostalgia to some degree, but the Wonder Years have done. They've really taken to the task of becoming adults, and I think this album is a real brilliant reflection on fatherhood and fear. Uh, you know, like I don't have any kids, but I feel like I was joking with with Dan. I was like. I listened to this record and made me feel like I had a, had a kid. I was like, I had all the anxieties of fatherhood, but not any of the actual trappings of fatherhood, um, which might not be the most appealing, you know, endorsement, but, but it's, it's just really stunning. It's really beautiful and really vulnerable. And I, I especially think, you know, getting a record out of that, um, getting a record like that out of a group that's been making music this long, um, it's really generous. It's a testament to, to their generosity. Let's watch them grow up like this. Yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to it, man. Uh, that's a, that's quite the ringing endorsement. I did like the last two albums, so really excited to check that out. Um, I want to lean on nostalgia with you a little bit here, uh, even though you know, like you said, you you don't begrudge any music any musician who does that. So please don't begrudge me. Um, the Jays are playing the Seattle Mariners right now, and that's why I thought to have you on because you are like the Ken Griffey Jr. guy. Um, t- tell me a little bit about this this Griffey collection you have. Yeah, well, I have, it's funny. I haven't really watched a lot of baseball since Junior has been at the game. Um, you know, for me coming up, it was always really, um, I gravitated towards athletes who looked cool, like doing things more than anything. <laughs> you know, I, I grew up loving basketball and soccer. Um, and I got into baseball in the early nineties when I was a kid and, and Griffey was in Seattle um, in part because, you know, he just looked cool. He wore his hat backwards. His whole, I, I still feel like his home run kind of 
trap thing, you know, the, the, the bat drop and all that. Like, no one is touching that. It was so fluid, you know, his swing was so fluid. And so um, there was a real fluidity to his game. He made it look, um, I like an athlete who can make something look effortless. But also, you know, now I'm a, I'm a big sneaker collector. Um, and so when I was coming up, I couldn't, like, afford the Griffies that, that were coming out. His shoe, I think, also existed in this kind of golden era, or a a golden era of the athlete signature shoe. You know, there was his pairs, was the Bill Jackson pairs. You know, if you liked football, there was the Deion Sanders pairs and the Barry Sanders pairs. And of course, this would say nothing about basketball, like even cracking that open, the tipping Jordan Penny. Um, and I, I thought, I always thought the Griffies were the most unique, particularly the Griffey one, the, the first one. Um, although the, the second pair is also really cool. Um, but the first ones were kind of like the 24 on the strap and the Nike sign that kind of swooshes around the toe box. Um, I remember just deeply coveting the original colorway of that, the freshwater one that kind of matched the Seattle uniform, at least to some degree, um, because he wore them. He like would actually, you know, he would like wear them in, uh, in the game and, and they were, in this space where the thing about athlete signature shoes back then was some of them looked really cool on the field of play and looked really cool, like outside of the field of play. Um, and some just didn't like some either only look cool on the street, so to speak, and never looked normal or natural in game. And some only look cool in game and didn't really look, you know, like I never really loved, um, I never really loved any of the Pippin shoes that came with Scotty Pippin shoes that came out because they, they like never really translated to casual wear well for me. But the Griffies, they both, you know, they both kind of, uh, they work both well. So yeah, I have, have 10 pairs of, uh, Griffies. I have eight of the Griffey Max one and then two of the Griffey Max two, which are, those are less, I think, uh, adored in the sneaker world. Man, that's uh, that's quite the collection. That's uh, it's cool though, and, and that's it's almost frustrating as a as a big basketball fan and a big baseball fan that you see a guy like Griffey, you see the lasting kind of cultural impact that that guy had, and then you look at baseball and they've kind of gone out of their way to not have Ken Griffey Juniors in the future. Like like they really haven't done a good job building the next young, fun, cool guys. Um, now, there is a little bit of, of hope for that. When you look around baseball now, and I, I know you're, you're more of a, you know, play the show than, than watch every game kind of guy. But yeah. when you look around baseball and you see guys like Tim Anderson, like Julio Rodriguez, uh, Juan Soto, even Vlad here in Toronto, do you, do you see the potential for that kind of next generation of breakthrough young star who can kind of take ba- baseball back to, you know, I guess looking as cool as uh, some other sports maybe do a better job of? I kind of hope so. I like, uh, I like Fernando Tatis Jr. You know, like there's a thing that's happening. I think where like um, players that I remember from my brief era of baseball fandom, um, they're there. This is happening in sports, I think broadly, but um, you know, it's been cool in baseball to see, you know, like young, the, the, the younger versions of, um, players that <laughs> buddy, do are, I have a team you know, for you? Gu- glad. Guerrero, Bichette and yeah. Biggio. Yeah. Yeah. It's wild. And I, yeah, I do. So I am a, it's wild because I don't watch a lot of baseball, but I'm an avid and eager player of MLB the show. It's like my favorite 
It's our favorite sports video game. Like, by far, my favorite sports video game. Like, every year I get it the day it comes out and I just wear it out. Um, I don't know why that is. I think I've always, there's something I've always enjoyed about the baseball video game as a format. Um, you know, like, even back in the day, like, talking, like, Sega games and all that. Um, there's something I've really, I've really loved about, you know, it's kind of like you can get in and get out quickly. Um, but the show is also, you know, it's work. It's kind of like, <laughs> I don't know if folks listen to our video game players, but it's like it takes real labor to get to the majors. And um, I do feel like, depending on what position you play, if you do like Road to the Show, depending on what position you play, you actually are not that entirely in control of whether or not your team wins or loses. If you're a pitcher, sure. But almost any other position player, um, you're not entirely in control of, of victory or defeat, which isn't the case for like most other sports video games. You know what I mean? Like you, I also play like NBA 2K and you know, there, if you're like playing point guard, you could really control the game. And I'll be the show. I always play shortstop uh, because of my very, very, very brief stint of little league baseball. I was a very bad shortstop. <laughs> um, and I'm trying to, trying to recapture recapture those memories in a good way. But, you know, I, I like a sports game where I, I can lose every now and then. You know, like right now, uh, my team is in – I'm actually playing as the Mariners, and my team is in, like, third place in the division, you know, and I, who knows if we'll make it out. <laughs> so that, that, kind of, um, that kind of uncertainty is, is good for me in a sports game. This show really provides it. So you're an Ohio guy. Griffey comes to Cincinnati later in his career – um, how cool was that for you? Like, like, are you, have you kind of like being an Ohio guy, being a big Griffey guy, has that transition sort of kept you as a Reds fan? Yeah. I mean, kind of in a way when Griffey came to the Reds, I think it was, um, kind of exciting, but not entirely. It didn't, he didn't really fulfill all the promises. So he, he was great in Oh four. Um, I think he was like good in 07. Um, but I think his 04 season at Cincinnati was probably the most special that he had, but it also kind of, um, felt like he was just not the guy he was. Um, mm-hmm. and so that was a little hard, it, it, you know, it's like a little hard to see. Of course he was kind of untouchable in Seattle, in a way, you know, like that 97, I want to say 97, 97, you want MVP? Uh, I think let's, so. I don't have a handy, but um, that sounds right to me. Let's say, 97. <laughs> let's say 97. With the run he had from like 97 to the year 2000 or 99 was so impressive. And I think like Red fans thought they were getting that. Like there was that stretch in the late 90s where he was the home run leader like every single year. Um, and, you know, he wasn't not that guy, but he, he wasn't the same, but you know, if you're, I, I'm a red, I, I like going to Reds games in part because one, I like, I like live baseball. That's one, two, the red stadium is just really beautiful. I've been to like, I want to say half of maybe a little more over half of uh, major league baseball stadiums. And the one in Cincinnati, you know, great American ballpark is still probably like top two for me. Okay. Next to Pittsburgh. Um, though there's some I haven't been to in a while and I'm sure they've like revamped themselves, but, um, you know, I love, I love that stadium and I love, and I, I also really love Pittsburgh and I, um, despite myself, you know, like 
I, I don't want to love Dodger Stadium, but I really, really do. Like, I really part of me thinks it's like I don't know, kind of strange to to love the the big LA, you know, historically entrenched place or whatever. But I love Dodger Stadium too. Yeah. I haven't been up to Toronto yet. I, I I love spending time in Toronto. I've been to every sporting event in Toronto except a Jays game. Ah, well, man, well, we'll have you up anytime. You uh. You come up and nothing, very few cities as, as good for, for concerts and live music in the summer as Toronto as well. So uh, it could be could be a good trip for you. I, I don't blame you for Dodger Stadium. It's like, you know, I, I got to see old Yankee Stadium the, the last year that it existed. And it's kind of like, you know, Madison Square Garden in basketball. Like you're not a mark for liking Madison Square Garden. It's, it's Madison Square Garden for yeah. a reason. And Dodger Stadium is actually one of seven I haven't been to yet. So um i'm i'm hoping to get there at some point and I, I feel like i'd agree i have a i had a funny experience at great american ballpark in cincinnati um i was there and adam dunn hit a walk-off home run and right as he hit the home run it started just pouring rain and we get out to the parking lot after the game so it's you think it's great timing uh he hits this walk-off and my friend had left the lights on in the car so our battery was dead and we're just st- stranded in Cincinnati and and you know the area there's not like a ton nearby uh it was uh, a lot to do. no it was a tough one uh Hanif before we let you go i got to i i got to tie your music to your baseball video game fandom so in my in my opinion MVP Baseball 05 has the best soundtrack of a sports video game. That's, uh, if you go back, I think it's the one with Man Ram on the cover. Uh, really fun yeah. soundtrack. And it's probably just the game that I wore out the most, so it, it sticks out to me. But you are tasked, like tomorrow, they're like MLB The Show 24. Hanif Abdurraqib, you are curating the soundtrack for this game. What are your what are the like first three songs that come to mind to throw on a the show soundtrack if you're the curator? Oh wow. Well first going back to that O five MVP baseball, you know, it's a lot about that. And I have an encyclopedic memory, uh, encyclopedic memory of baseball of all sports <laughs> soundtracks, which is maybe not the best but there's a band on there called Rock and Roll Soldiers Soldiers who had a song called Funny Little Feeling that was on their soundtrack. Yeah. And that introduced that introduced me to them and I went to go see them in like a uh, what could best be described as like a shack in West Virginia, <laughs> and they put on one of the wildest shows I'd ever seen, and then they kind of they kind of vanished. Um, <laughs> all right, so the show twenty four. Um, if I have to pick three songs, ooh, um, I'm gonna go. With, I'm gonna try to go with all new songs. Okay, because I think I, if I I would go down a really dark rabbit hole um, if I. If I suggested, like, uh, if I started thinking about older songs. Um, okay. The first song I would go with is, you know, I just, an album I love is Katie Alice Greer's album, Barbarism, which came out two weeks ago. And I would go with the song No Man as the first selection. Um, I would go with Likely 47. Well, Chitty Bang has already been on like a support soundtrack. Sure. So I would skip down. I would go with Likely 47's uh, Secret Service as my second choice. Um, and then, you know what, to kind of like tap into my pop punk roots, I, I thought this album was like just kind of okay, even though I, I like the dudes and I like the band. But the last State Champs album has a song on it called 
fake it. And I would go with that as my third choice. Nice. I love that pick. I, uh, yeah, I think I like that album maybe a little bit more than you did, but, uh, state champs, I mean, anyone with, uh, any band with a sports reference name is going to have a, a good chance. Yeah. You actually, you had a very funny tweet the other day too about the um, the the matri- matronly or matriarch uh, name releases the other day with with soccer mommy and more mother oh, and everything. Yeah. yeah, it's been it's in the mama album. It's been like right, a mama. real run. It's, if, if you're if you're thinking about it, yeah. starting the band, you know, just put any conversion of mom or mommy. Yeah. I mean, the mom, the mom's dumb is like month old, but it was also good. But yeah. Yeah. They missed the, they missed the memo that anyone with mom in their name had to, had to release it this week. That mama album is, is awesome though. Um, any, thanks so much for taking the time, man. Uh, love, love, love catching up with you and your work. Everyone should go check out uh, little devil in America notes and praise of black performance. They can't kill us until they kill us and all the rest of your great work. I uh, really appreciate you taking the time out, man. Okay, hopefully talk again soon. Hanif Abdul-Rakib, uh, one of my favorite writers, poets, all-around good dude. Now I'm going to be sitting here. I shouldn't ask him that question because now I'm going to be sitting here thinking of what my soundtrack would look like if, if I got to curate the baseball game. Uh, but I haven't played a sports video game in a while, so I don't know that I'm the best person uh, to do that. Hanif's relationship with... The Ken Griffey Jr. of the Seattle Mariners brings a lot to mind for me. And I, I've talked a little bit about on this show about the frustration that I get sometimes seeing how and, and they're getting a little bit better for it, but over the years baseball has kind of avoided marketing its stars. And, you know, first it was, well, when the NBA is embracing digital media, MLB is getting accounts banned for posting gifts of highlights. And I've always been of the mind that once a play happens, you, you miss the opportunity to cash in on it. Everything else is just a, a free advertising beyond that. Um, and I, I think MLB is getting better for it now. Um, you know, off base on MLB network is up on the screen in the studio right now. And they do a good job sh- letting players show some more personality, showing the fun aspects of the game. Um, but you don't see a lot of marketing tailored around guys like Tatis and Soto. And even, I mean, in Toronto, you get the Vlad stuff for sure. Um, but league-wide, and J-Rod's going to be another one. Julio Rodriguez, who you'll get another shot, uh, another look at tonight. Tim Anderson, um, Shohei Otani. These are athletes who... Sh- transcend the sport like they are incredibly cool they are unique um literally no one has ever done what Shohei Otani's doing uh we talked to Matt Muse a Chicago area rapper about Tim Anderson and his connection to that city and the south side aesthetic and stuff like that that's a special thing um the Jays yeah you're frustrated as a Jays fan right now but at a national level the end of last year and the start of this year that was like this was one of the most popular teams outside of the city too, because the personalities are there and they're big and they're fun. And and yeah, you have to be good behind that. I don't know that we need to go back to the era where no offense to this player, but uh, you know, Nick Swisher saying bro a lot or Brett Laurie uh, drinking protein powder without mixing it with water. Like, I don't know that that's the level of, of personality and player we need, but baseball is blessed right now with a ton of really fun, unique 
stars who play the game in different ways or approach the game in different ways. Um, and you think back to a guy like Ken Griffey Jr. And like there are movie scenes where Ken Griffey Jr. just like looking like a badass is a big part of a pivotal movie scene. And I don't know. I, I just think that baseball is too good a sport and too cool a sport to to not have more guys like Ken Griffey Jr. making those connections. And I, I hope that we're headed that way with baseball where, you know, 10, 15 years from now, there's another Hanif Abdurraqib who's collecting Fernando Tatis shoes. Um, I mean, baseball could just do a better job with the shoes in general. Like, let's get some custom cleats in there and stuff let, on like the NBA side. Um, but I hope we're we're trending in that direction. As a Jays fan, I'm sure you are. You were not thrilled that uh, Julio Rodriguez was a part of that last night because, again, the Jays lose 8-3, six loss in the last seven. They're going through it right now. I don't know that better days are immediately ahead in part because, well, there just aren't pitching reinforcements coming through that door today. Trade deadline's less than a month away. There will be, we've talked to Ben Nicholson-Smith, Arden Zwelling, Shai Davidi, pretty much everyone around this team thinks and, and borderline knows that pitching additions are coming at some point. It's just a matter of waiting for the market to present the right deal at the right price. Um, I've long been a proponent that teams waiting until the trade deadline is overthinking it a little bit. And I know there are factors. The You have to wait for the market to set. You have to wait for the sellers to be willing to sell. If you're a seller, maybe you're okay grinding it down to the finish line to get five cents more on the dollar. You can't control that aspect of it. Waiting also gives you more information. A couple weeks ago, we might not have been talking about the Jays needing to be in the market for starting pitching. I get that. But we knew entering the year that they would need bullpen help. We knew early on, despite their performance in one-run games, that they needed bullpen help. And they need bullpen help now. That problem has been worsened and worsened as the season goes along and the starting pitching also starts to struggle uh, and then wears out the bullpen as well. At this point, I'm kind of working under the assumption they'll just run it down to the deadline because you're so close now. Um, But it does feel like a little bit of a missed window to have added and maybe those deals weren't there maybe i'm you know lamenting the lack of a trade that never existed but you can look around the league and especially i mean you can look at this jays team last year you can make additions on the fly earlier than this and i don't i'm very fond of sergio romo i'm very fond of sergio romo's sit downs with arash madani i'm very fond of sergio romo being on blair and barker and I think there's something to a guy who relies on deception and just being an uncommon pitcher getting dropped into a division he hasn't pitched in in a couple of years and just see if something can click there. I don't think Sergio Romo is solving your bullpen issues. Anthony Bonda and Matt Peacock certainly aren't. Um, it just feels like this situation was avoidable. And it brings me to a tough macro strategy question that I bounce back and forth on a little bit because this is a couple years in a row. The Jays have entered the season with a bullpen. They knew they'd need to fortify before the deadline. 
you could certainly look at that and be like, well, stop doing that. You need to have bullpen arms ready. Uh, You know you're going to need a good bullpen over the course of the season if you're going to be competitive. However, relief pitching is the most unstable part of your team building. It's the hardest to predict year to year. It's the hardest to nail down value on in terms of uh, production per dollar spent in free agency. The attrition rate on the injury side is very high. You can completely understand why this front office looks at their budget and looks at their roster and says, well, investing in starting pitching and investing in hitting is more reliable, more projectable, more bang for your buck. So we'll cobble together a bullpen on the fly. You, I, you can certainly understand that. However, I don't know that there's a more frustrating thing in baseball, maybe even in sports, than having uh, that kind of shakiness. And it's not even shakiness in terms of like they've blown a ton of saves. They have. They've blown a lot of saves. Um, they've lost some games they should have won. But they've been mostly fine in one-run games for the season. It's more that it's a constant talking point of you got to rotate this guy in, this guy out, this guy to the minors, this guy off the waiver wire um, because the pitching's so thinned out. And, and that's exacerbated now by uh, Yusei Kikuchi being on the I.L., Hyunjin Ryu being out for the season, Thomas Hatch not looking like AAA starting depth at all. Um, we're headed for a Ross Stripling start tonight. Stripling has filled in admirably. Five and dive uh, feels like a wonder after what this team's gone through uh, the last little bit. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk to Dan Schulman about what the vibe's like around the team right now during this one and six stretch, what to expect from Ross Stripling tonight, and how close Kevin Gosman is to relieving some of that starting pitching issue by making a start on Sunday instead of missing his turn entirely. Uh, Dan Schulman's next on Jay's Talk Plus on Sports at 590, The Fan. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Jay's Mariners continues tonight. 10 o'clock game. As a reminder, that's an Apple TV Plus game. It's free, but it won't be on Sportsnet. So if you're looking for the game later, Apple TV Plus. Steven Nelson, Hunter Pence, Katie Nolan. Should be fun. Whole bunch of stats, whole bunch of graphics. It's uh, it's cool to see a different approach to the broadcast every now and then. We talked to Stephen Nelson a little bit about it yesterday. It was cool. Or it will be cool, rather. <laughs> I haven't seen the game yet. Uh, I don't have that power as much as I would like to. Um, someone who will see the game up close and will not be subject to the whims of TV broadcasts and things like that is Dan Schulman, uh, the voice of the Blue Jays. Dan, how are you, man? Uh, doing all right. Um, living in this can't connect with anybody world today like everybody else. <laughs> yeah. So what's uh, what's your situation? So what is the situation for you tonight? Are you just in Seattle and off tonight? Yeah, because the game's on Apple. Yeah. It's an Apple game, so we just don't work. Yeah. Sweet. You got You got plans or what? Uh, uh, yeah, Tabby and Hazel and I are going to go out for dinner and then we're going to wander over to the game in maybe the first or second inning because nobody will be in our booth and we'll, uh, we'll hang out in the booth and watch the game and 
maybe stay till the seventh or something. <laughs> and it's a, it's a little up in the air right now. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how the game is too, right? Yeah. I was uh, I was in Chicago a couple weekends ago and took in a, an Orioles White Sox game, and it was very much a uh, you know what? If I don't end up staying till the bottom of the ninth in this one uh, between the Orioles and the White Sox, I'm mm-hmm. okay with that. So. Uh, nice to have that out. Um, last night, you didn't have that out. You had to make it through to the 8-3 final. Uh, the Jays lost 6-7 now. You're there. You're, you're close to these guys. You're around the team. Are they are they starting to feel that a little bit? I think so. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know if I you know walked up to one of them and said, are you starting to feel it a little bit? I don't know if they would say yes, but it looks like they are, and they're, and they're human beings. I think we always underestimate the nature to which these guys are actually human like the rest of us, you know. So, um, you know, they know the expectations are really high uh, on this team, and I, they know – um, they're not where they're supposed to be in the standings, and they haven't played up to their potential because a few of them have said that in interviews. So um, I, I also think, um, you know, it can wear on a team when one particular part of a team is the reason, you know, fairly consistently, it, you know, for the wins not to be coming. And I think everybody knows they need help on the pitching side. So, and they, you know, they've made a couple of small additions on the pitching staff, but I, I, I think they'd love to get that big move, you know, to hear that a trade has been made and that somebody has come in. So um, I do think they're feeling it a little bit. I also, and, and I can't speak for them, I can just speak for myself, um, 18 games in 17 days with a doubleheader and a cross-country trip and no off days. And I know, you know, some of the people listening right now, however people are managing to listen today, are are rolling their eyes. But, um, you know, again, these are human beings. And, and I, I think they're a little bit tired, too. And I, I think the Monday off day is going to do them a lot of good. You just hope they can find a way to win a couple of games between now and then. Yeah, I mean, geez, I didn't even think of you deserve this night. I mean, you deserve a night off anyway, but you, you must be. How's the voice holding up? You Sound, you still sound like butter. Yeah, no, I, uh, I feel fine. Like, you know, like for a player, they roll an ankle or their shoulder hurts. That's a problem. For me, I could roll my ankle or hurt my shoulder. I just can't get a sore throat. So, <laughs> you know, but um, yeah, no, my throat's fine. I slept later today than I ever have in my life on the West Coast. Wow. Ever. You know, you know, because you know how you go to the West Coast and you're on East Coast time. I slept till eight o'clock West Coast time, which for me is like, um, unheard of. So, but it's not about me, but I, um, like I'm tired and, and, uh, I'm sure everybody's, um, a little bit fatigued and everybody would like to get home. And I think that all-star break is going to help this team as well. That having been said, you know, they've given up some ground in the standings, right? And all of a sudden you look in the rear view mirror and there's Seattle and Cleveland, and those teams are meaningful. Those teams are, are trying to get into the playoffs. So, uh, the Blue Jays have some work ahead of them. Yeah. That's also two teams that were you know, had they not been doing as well or had you been able to keep them further at arm's length away, potential trade partners for mm-hmm. relief arms. And now they're maybe too close to that. Um, one more thing on the the kind of rest and fatigue. Should we be a little concerned that George Springer's sat two in a row with this kind of nebulous aches and pains thing? Yeah, until we find out more. Yeah. Uh, but that's all we're getting, aches and pains. So, you know, that could mean nothing. That could mean something. We can only give out the information that we're given. And, um, I mean, he hasn't looked right for a couple of weeks, yeah. right, offensively. He certainly hasn't looked like, like – like when George Springer is on, I mean, he is a he's a force of nature. He really is. But um, he hasn't looked right for a couple of weeks. I asked him maybe three days ago – um, well, it would be the day, the first day that he sat. So two days ago, I guess I said, elbow. Okay. He goes, it'll be fine. Just my day to sit. And, but again, 
you know, is there something underlying there that he's not telling me? I have no way. I'm not going to push him on that. I asked him a question. He answered it. And, but then the fact that he was out again yesterday, Charlie said what they wanted to do was get him a complete 24 hours off. They couldn't do that or they didn't do that the day before when they brought him into pinch hit for, I can't remember if it was Tapia or Biggio. I think it was Tapia. Um, so we'll see. Uh, you know, a lineup will come out in about three, four hours, I guess. And I think we'll know a little bit more then. But, yeah, I, I do think there has to be a little bit of concern here because he just hasn't looked right for a couple of weeks. He hasn't. And, and you know, his struggles are one thing. And then you mentioned that it's the same thing all the time and that can maybe wear on you as a team. And obviously the, it's the pitching side that hasn't been there. But the Jays have only scored 17 runs over these last seven. And Charlie Montoyo made a comment post game last night and he said he thinks – the guys are being a little too... Oh, he didn't say a little. I'm adding the little. I'm editorializing here. But he said guys are being too aggressive because they're getting down early in games. Are you a believer in that uh, that ability for starting pitching struggles to bleed into what the hitters are doing as well? Yes, 100%. Uh, I think if they have trailed after the first inning in five of their last six games, and not always by one run, mostly by two or three. Um, and if, and then like last night it was seven to one after three. Absolutely. I, I think there can be an element of try to do too much, uh, try to hit a five run Homer, uh, when you're down early time after time, a hundred percent. Um, they also have, um, you know, some hitters who are free swingers or, you, you know, who aren't very disciplined sometimes and can get beaten by a certain type of pitcher like last night, like Marco Gonzalez, who's a good pitcher. Um, but he, you know, he's going to come out, run that little cutter in and the change up away. Sometimes I think a lot of the Blue Jay hitters would just rather see 96 right down the <laughs> middle than somebody who's going to play chess with them. Right. And, and, you know, there, there is an element of sameness to this lineup to a certain extent. And it's not just, that they're all right-handed batters, just some of the approaches are similar from uh, place to place to place. I think when they're going really well, they're being disciplined, and they're taking pitches, and they get the count in their favor more often than they're doing right now. I, I, I think there's a trying-too-hard element to it, and I think there's a not-being-disciplined-enough uh, element to it. And, you know, this is a team that can punish mediocre pitching, but certain types of pitchers continue to give them problems, in my opinion, uh, year after year, month after month, year after year. So um, I think that's something to sort out, but the pitching is what has to get sorted out first and foremost, right? Yeah, it's almost encouraging that the solutions offensively are internal, right? And and the numbers bear out what you're saying. When they were the best offense in baseball from kind of mid-late May through the end of June, the walk rate was up, the strikeout rate was down, the kind of chase rate at stuff you, you know, the stuff you can put your bat on but can't really drive that was down as well. And you saw that not universally up and down the lineup, but you did see that it's been a huge mark of Kirk's good season. It's something Kevin Biggio added in coming back. And then a few other guys were doing a better job of it as well. Um, when you look at where those struggles are happening specifically, I don't, I, I don't mean, I don't say this to mean that he is the problem or, or he's, you know, setting the tone improperly. But Bo Bichette, to me, is the biggest bellwether of that because he is the most aggressive hitter on the team, and he's having a pretty down year. He started cold. He had that little hot stretch for a bit, um, but he's kind of back where he started, and, and he's checking in at just a league average kind of slash line right now. Um, what are you seeing from Bo that, that he could turn around? Is it is it just kind of what we just talked about at a team level, but 
really, really concentrated because it's Bo Bichette? Yeah, I, I think everything is a little bit heightened with him because he's so aggressive, mm-hmm. right? So when, when things aren't going well, I think people are more likely to jump on his case about, you know, don't swing so much. It's always 0-2, that sort of thing. This is who he is. This is who he's been for a long time. And, you know, he came into the league as a rookie, and I, I, I only kind of know the numbers because I looked last night. I think in 2019 he had an OPS plus of light. It was in the 140s, mm-hmm. I believe. Then the, the last two years in the 120s, and I remember looking last night, it was 104 last night. So to your point, basically league average, a little bit above uh, league average. Um, and, and I don't know how easy it is for him to change. Uh, I mean, he grew up with a baseball playing dad. So, you know, he was taught how to hit a certain way at a very young age. And that is the way that he has hit. Um, he's a guy who it feels to me when he can control the count a little bit, he can be devastating. Like, I think if you look at hitters, What do they hit when they're ahead in the count? What do they hit when they're behind in the count? It's a huge gap for every hitter, but I remember looking a little while back, and for Bo, it's an even bigger gap. I think for Gurriel, it's an even bigger gap as well, because both of them have really good bat-to-ball skills. Like, if you throw a certain pitch in a certain spot, they're going to kill it. Um, But if you can get them to chase, you you can get them out. So... um, I wouldn't isolate it just on him. Like, Vladdy is not having the kind of season he had last year. Teoscar Hernandez is not having the kind of season that he had last year. You know, so that's your your two, three, and five hitters most of the time. The guys who are exceeding expectations, you mentioned Kirk. You know, Biggio's come back and done very well, and he's helped the lineup. I think Espinal doesn't get the credit that he deserves for the professional at-bats that he has. Like, Mm -hmm. last night... When other guys were popping up and grounding out to short, he went three for four and had good at-bats, like a lot of pitches, fouled off pitches. And I've said this on the air. He looks to me whether he's facing the worst pitcher in the league or the best pitcher in the league. He has a game plan. He sticks to it, and he's a tough out. But they need some of the bigger guys in the middle of the lineup to take it up a notch offensively. In in terms of Bo, I, I guess the only way to do that is for him to be a little bit more selective, and that's just a, a difficult thing for him. He's a, he's a super aggressive guy. You know, as you know, his swing rate's in the top 10 um, in, in baseball. It's around 50%, I believe, and it's hard to hit when you're 0-2 as much as he is. Um, he did it. He was 0-2 a lot in his rookie year, it felt like to me. Yeah. But I think guys now, you know, opposing teams, everybody's got smart people with computers, right? So I think I think opposing teams just have a bit of a game plan for him right now. And, and he's probably a little bit easier to game plan than other elite hitters just because he's so aggressive. Yeah, and I think you mentioned Gurriel as well. And it's sometimes, sometimes I wonder if that elite bat-to-ball skill is like, not obviously it's better to have it than not but sometimes like you you almost literally can hit everything so the idea of sitting back and waiting for something when the first thing or the second thing look hittable to you uh must be a tough one one name you, you didn't mention there and you and i have talked about him privately of late is matt chapman and chapman has been as advertised defensively the stat line overall isn't where you'd hope it is. I think, you know, last I checked, he's at a career-worst OPS plus right now. But you've seen something in Chapman's process and the way the ball's jumping off of his bat that encourages you that better days are ahead for Matt Chapman. 
Well, the numbers are better the last six weeks than yeah. the first six weeks. So I, um, I would, I would, I think he's around a 700 OPS, if I'm not mistaken. And I'm yeah. just guessing. This is really rough. Like <laughs> it was in the low sixes for a while, and and it's been close to 800 the last six weeks. So, um, you know, he's not a guy who's over aggressive, right? He will take pitches. He will take a walk. But I think, in listening to Joe Siddle and Pat Tabler when I've done games with them. Uh, they feel he's getting on top of the high fastball a little bit more. We've seen him like muscle balls to left center field um, that are up above the belt. So um, I don't know if this is who he is or if there's a little bit more in there, but if he just keeps doing what he's been doing the last six weeks, we're going to look up at a month and say, boy, he's got a 115 OPS plus, like he's having a good year. So um, the defense is so good that even if he's a league average hitter, he's a good player, obviously. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, you know, let's let's be honest. They were desperate for a third baseman. They absolutely had to get a third baseman. Um, I don't think they could have gone back to the to the um, to the Biggio Espinal plan. I guess they could have had Espinal play third and gone out and get a second baseman. But to me, it looked like they had to make a decision in the off season. Like they tried to get Jose Ramirez. We all know that it didn't work out. So they had to make a decision: do we get a left-handed batter? Do we get a third baseman? We can't get both in the same guy. So we got to choose. Do we get a left-handed bat or a third baseman? And they got a third baseman. And then they decided to move Biggio and Espinal back to second base. So, you know, Matt Chapman wasn't the perfect fit because I think, you know, they would have loved to have had a switch hitter or a left-handed bat who could have broken up all those righties. But I think, you know, this is who, this is what Matt Chapman is. And, and again, if the 220 can become 240, if the 700 can become 740, you know, then it's a heck of a year. But I, uh, you know, if you're looking at the list of things that need to go better for the Blue Jays going forward, I'd, I'd have Chapman down the list. I, I, I think he's doing fine. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And, you know, some of the stat cast stuff suggests, too, he's been I, I never know how to frame this as unfortunate or unlucky or, or just it's the way it's gone. But a lot of loud contact that yep. hasn't resulted in positive results for him. And, you know, you mentioned he's been better of late. And I, I think it's it's going to keep trending in the right direction. Um, so that decision before the season uh, of third baseman or left-handed bat, you can only get one. We entered the season, and I think a lot of people expected that around this time, between now and the deadline, the Jays would be looking at a left-handed bat or a switch hitting bat that could maybe diversify the top of the order a little bit. At this stage, Dan, are you, if you're the Jays, are you just focused on the pitching side? Like like a left-handed bat to diversify the offense seems pretty far down the list here when you look at the state that the pitching staff is in. Is this a, yep. is this a pure pitching focus for you between now and August 2nd? I think it's a primary pitching focus. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I think if something falls into your lap, you know, if the Royals call and say, we'll give you Andrew Benintendi for something that's really, really, really reasonable, you make the deal, sure. obviously. So, um, but I even think about things like, say they got Benintendi, who I think would be a nice fit. But there, there are two issues to me. One is they're chewing up a lot of that DH spot already because Kirk has to be there a fair yeah. bit, right? So, and Springer clearly has to be there a fair bit, and Vladdy clearly has to be there a fair bit. They don't have that many DH bats to go around. So if you were to get somebody like Andrew Benintendi, um, let's say he plays against righties, so he's playing five out of seven or whatever it is. Uh, okay, so then is Guriel sitting three, four days a week? Guriel's hitting 390 over the last <laughs> uh, six weeks. Um, are you moving... Benintendi to center and Springer to right and sitting Teoscar Hernandez more like it. Uh, one of the issues that I that I think exists on this team is the pieces of the puzzle don't fit together 
perfectly. And, and no team, they fit together perfectly. But I don't think they fit together all that well. And, and, and it's a little bit difficult to see how they can really make a significant improvement on the position player side. I think they can help around the edges. But I don't know if they can make a, uh, a, a huge improvement on the position player side. Because if you go get a left-handed bat, in my mind, it probably has to be an outfielder. Mm-hmm. Like, what are you going to do with a third baseman or a shortstop? you got two guys who play second base. Vladdy plays first. And you got three catchers already. <laughs> so I think it's got to be an outfielder. And, and again, because... The uh, Kirk is, you know, Kirk uh, Springer and Guerrero are filling up the DH spot. I, I'm not sure what you do. So, yes, uh, the first things they have to look at are pitching. You know, all you have to do is watch the games to see that. Whether it's a starter, reliever, both, you know, is is another story. But they don't they don't appear to have enough right now. Um, you know, what are they going to do with Kikuchi beyond the 15 days? It'll be nice to get Jimmy Garcia back. That'll, I think, stabilize that part of the bullpen a little bit. But they probably need two pretty good arms mm-hmm. to help this team. And that's going to cost them a fair bit. If Ross Atkins calls another general manager, that GM can read box scores. He knows what's <laughs> going on. He's going to ask for a lot. And, um, you know, the front office might be in a pretty tricky situation this year in terms of whether or not they push all of their chips into the middle of the table. That's yeah, a tough one. Uh, one... One thing that comes to mind as you lay that out there, and it's a little bit of a tough one because normally we think of if a team's win now and they're going in right now, um, you don't want to take from the major league roster. But let's say there's a scenario where a left-handed outfielder becomes available and there is pitching available to you, but it requires pulling from what you currently have. let you know, hypothetically, Teoscar or Lourdes Gurriel or something like that. Do you think that's something the Jays would entertain, or is that more if you're if you're pulling one of the kind of core pieces away? That has to be an off-season thing you can do more methodically. So I mean, maybe I look at it differently. I don't think it, it depends. Are they trading with another contender, yeah. and it's just my weakness for your weakness, or are they trading with a rebuilding team? To me, there's no value for a rebuilding team to take Teoscar right. Hernandez. He's 29, he makes $10 million a year, and he's a free agent after next season. Now, if there was another contending team that needed an outfield bat, okay, then maybe there's a fit for a guy making a similar amount of money. But most deals, as you know, are usually between contender and non-contender. Yeah. Non-contender, to me, doesn't have an interest in Teoscar Hernandez. I don't even know if they have an interest in Lourdes Gurriel. Now, Lourdes makes less money, and he's got one more year until he's a free agent. So to me, it's Gurriel ahead of uh, Teoscar. So, yeah, maybe there could be um, a Guriel trade, but then who's playing left field? I mean, it, yeah. unless in a separate deal you go out and then you get your Benintendi or something like that, that's a lot. You know, that's yeah. a lot of stuff yeah. going on um, at the trade deadline. I, I think if I were a non-contender's GM, I'm asking about Gabby Moreno for obvious reasons, and I think I'm also asking about Espinal, and I hope the Blue Jays don't trade him, but Espinal – uh, hasn't hit arbitration yet, so he's not making much money. And another team might say, shoot, we'll stick him at shortstop. Like, he can play short, yeah. Yeah, you know, which he could. I think we all know that he could. You know, is he a star? No. But is he a really useful player? Absolutely. So those are the two guys I think about on the major league roster currently that other GMs might ask about. I really hope they don't trade Espinal. I, I think there's a ton of value in Espinal beyond the numbers, too. But um, the Moreno one is really, really, really interesting. Um, 
I think if they get to the offseason, it's probably more likely they trade Jansen. But if they were to trade a catcher now, and I don't think they will, but if they were to trade a catcher now, I think it's Moreno. I don't think it's Kirk or Jansen. Yeah, and you have to put chips in if you're going to try to get something big back. I talked to Keith Law yesterday, and he said, you know, we kind of worked through some examples and, and came up with the Jordan Groshans line, which is any prospect lower than Groshans, you're probably only getting a reliever. You need to put two in anyone higher than him. Well, you better be getting a real tasty return because you don't want to trade a top six or seven prospect in your system for 12 innings of whatever down the stretch. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a, it's a tough spot, man. I, I don't, I don't envy the position they're in. Um, quickly before I let you go, Dan, do you think that the way the last two, maybe even three years have played out in terms of uh, you enter the season knowing you're going to need to add bullpen help, but then by the time um, you're a month out from the deadline, the situation's even worse than maybe you expected. Do, you, do we see a shift in bullpen building strategy from this front office moving forward? In the offseason, you mean? Yeah. Well, I think... Yeah, I think they probably try to have more going into next year. You know, I mean, this year, if we go back to February or January, whatever, before the lockout, after the lockout, doesn't matter. You know, Nate Pearson, Julian Merriweather, and Ryan Barucki were all still in the plan. Right. And for one reason or another, none of them worked out. Barucki's now pitching well in Seattle. Merriweather, Pearson, we all know. <laughs> so, you know, if you had looked at those three guys and had said, hey, if two of them work out, that's great. That's true. But they went 0 for 3. You know, and and it's it's really unfortunate. Um, you know, the two areas where I think they've been bitten are power in the bullpen, and those three guys all could have provided it, and depth in the starting rotation. And you go back now, like to 2020, the Thomas Hatch, Trent Thornton, Anthony K group. Um, you know, none of those guys has turned into a viable major league starter. Obviously, um, so. I mean, that's six guys uh, who were in the plans and they're not getting much out of them. They're getting the most out of Thornton, you know, back and forth a little bit, mostly low leverage, that sort of thing. So I think, you know, sometimes um, uh, I say something like it, it, the team that's going to win is the team who gets the most ifs that turn into yeses. You, you know, your 50-50s are going to go one way or another, and it feels like most of the Blue Jays' 50-50s haven't gone the way they wanted it to go. If Nate Pearson had turned in, and I'm not blaming him, but if Nate Pearson had turned into by now, who most of us thought Nate Pearson would turn into, this is a different-looking pitching staff. It, it, it just is. And, and whether it's as a starter um, or as a power reliever, if Julian Merriweather had been able to stay healthy, if, if, if. But the, most of the ifs for this team have not worked out. And uh, I, I think they'll probably compensate for that in the offseason by going out and, and getting more and, and having to spend more uh, on the bullpen. And, and maybe on the pitching staff as a whole, even if it's a lower ceiling guy, spending for more of a sure thing, a lower ceiling, sure thing guy than a, Hey, we can turn Yusei Kikuchi into this kind of guy, because at this point of this team's development, they don't need a fifth starter to be a star. They just need a fifth starter to give them a chance. Right. And, and, um, they're spending a lot on their pitching and they're spending a lot on this team and it's going to go up next year because Bo Bichette will hit arbitration. Jordan Romano is hitting arbitration. Vladdy will get a raise again. They're going to be some, tough decisions that have to be made in the off season about who to retain and, and what to prioritize. And that's how we end up back at, well, maybe spending on the bullpen isn't the best way to use your, your finite bullets. Um, Dan Schulman, 
Have you gotten a chance? I know you haven't today, but uh, to check out any of the Global Jam games with a certain someone on the call? <laughs> I have. I didn't. Yeah, they're off today. So, um, but I have watched not all of it because I've been doing games too. But I have watched uh, Ben do some games, which is I, I know that's uh, who you're asking about. <laughs> so I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I'm not, can, I'm not as curious as your take on Matt Devlin. You yeah. know, <laughs> you know, I think Matty's got a chance if he sticks yeah. with it. I think he's got a chance. <laughs> um, but uh, it, it's been a lot of fun. It, it continues to amaze me because I remember when I got into this, I was like 25, 26, 27 when I started doing the things Ben's doing now. Ben's much younger than that, and I was scared out of my mind. And he's not like he's not nervous at all about anything. So um, he's having a great time. Um, you know, Javon has, has treated him great, and Danielle and Sherm and everybody on the crew. And this is Ben's first time on, quote, you know, like big-time TV, real TV. And um, I'm very proud of him. I, I think he's doing really well, and he's having fun. And, and we've kind of talked a little bit here and there, uh, you know, in the morning one day, at night the other day. But I'm trying to stay out of his way and just let him do his thing. And um, just as a dad, I'm really proud of him. I, I He's always known he wanted to do this. And to me, he kind of sounds like a kid who's always known he's wanted to do this. I, I think he's doing a really nice job. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with you. And uh, listeners, Global Jam continues this weekend. Semifinals tomorrow. Finals on Sunday. You can go to basketball.ca for more information uh, about Global Jam tickets, about the broadcast schedule. Uh, Dan Schulman. Thanks so much for taking the time. Enjoy the evening off in <laughs> Seattle. I look forward to hearing you tomorrow. I, I look forward to, be, to uh, being back on tomorrow, Blake, and I just hope by the time I leave my hotel room for dinner, I hope my phone is working because that would be weird if it's not. But uh, hopefully we'll be back up to speed by then. Yeah, I don't know what to tell you about that one, Dan, yeah, but thanks for taking the time. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Blake. Dan Schulman, voice of the Blue Jays, almost every night. But again, I'll probably remind you once more after this too, Apple TV Plus tonight for your Jays television viewing and Ben Wagner with the call for you on the Rogers sports set radio network. Jeez, tripping over my tongue. Uh, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk to my pal, Drew fair service, the ghost runner on first. Um, we're going to tee up the rest of the series. See what can help the Jays turn things around one and six in their last seven, three more against the Mariners. Drew fair service next on Jays talk plus on sports at five ninety. the fan. afternoon and welcome back to jay's talk plus i'm blake murphy i'm with you another 20 minutes here before we hand it over to ben ennis for fan drive time i don't know if i'm spoiling anything but they've got Kevin biggio on the show today so you've got that to look forward to a little after five o'clock we have a guest who Prior to going down to the minors, uh, Kevin Biggio had the same slash line as him. It's Drew Fairservice uh, of the Spin Rate Podcast. Drew, how are you, man? I'm not the OBP machine that Kevin Biggio has become, but I am uh, just just as good. Uh, are you are you like effectively cabin pilled again? Like, are you in on Biggio being this version of Biggio moving forward? No, of course not. <laughs> but I the things that he does well. He's able to do well right now. He's not pushed into a role that he's not capable of. He's, you know, I don't, I, I like to see him at the bottom of the order. I like to see him getting on base, putting the ball in play effectively as he's doing, and then not being asked to do too much defensively as well. I think this is a great role for him 
I'm glad to see that he's gotten himself in a position where he can really do it well. And he can push, he and Santiago Espinal can kind of like push each other for playing time as well at second base. Um, you know, I, I, am I a believer in Kevin Biggio? No, but I'm going to take what I can get if I'm a, as a, someone who watches the Blue Jays closely and uh, never, never be mad at his production, but I'm always going to be a little uh, suspect. <laughs> yeah, it's, and sometimes it's just about guys finding the right role, right? Settling in. I, mm-hmm. I know you're a big basketball guy, and this isn't a... This is a much higher stakes and higher leverage example, but like Andrew Wiggins took a couple teams and a couple different roles to figure out that, oh, I'm an elite number three kind of thing. Now, Kevin Biggio is maybe a high-end utility guy or something like that. Um, you mentioned you like him at the bottom of the order. He has hit at the top of the order a couple times recently, as has Santiago Espinal, um, because of George Springer's limited availability. Uh, let's assume Springer's in the one spot do you give any or, or do you see any value in some of the discussion there's been around maybe Bo Bichette should slide down the order a little bit? Um, not necessarily just on merit, because I think you trust over the long haul Bo Bichette to be Bo Bichette, uh, but because his approach and his style is more of a clear the bases than set the table kind of guy. Yeah, absolutely. I really like the idea of Bo Bichette hitting a little bit further down in the lineup. I, I have. Uh, from the beginning, I think that I think Vladdy is the best number two hitter that they could hope for, mm-hmm. you know, in, in his own way, especially when he's not hitting for like as much power as we've seen him do uh, previously. So I love him number two. I love him and Springer kind of side by side. Uh, and then you've got plenty of guys who can slot in three, four, five. You can go Bo, you know, Tay Oscar or, or, or Kirk, uh, you know, wh- wherever you like in there, even if you hit Kirk fourth, right, as a guy who can potentially start an inning. Um, as well as a guy who you can count on when, if you get the first couple, you know, Vlad and Bo, or Vlad in our in, in our scenario on base, you know, Kirk having Kirk come up then is a great opportunity. And then again, uh, you know, Teoscar, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., who's you know a little bit of a different profile now than maybe how I picture him in my mind, but uh, but him and Bo, those type of hitters, I think you can kind of sprinkle them in, you know, three, five, six, wherever, wherever you know, whatever your, your mood takes you. You don't picture Lourdes Gurriel Jr. in your head as a guy who hits 400 uh, as a as a non-power bat. Yeah, suddenly Lourdes Gurriel Jr. is going to hit four 400, 400. That's going to be a flash line with like, with a four uh, percent strikeout rate. Yeah, uh, it's crazy. He's Tony Gwynn now. He's Tony Gwynn. Yeah, he's Thin Gwynn. I think that, that <laughs> Thin Cuban Gwynn. Uh, I, I, you know, I'd I like to see him being able to put the ball in play more and, and sort of maybe doing what he can to strip out some of the streakiness that sort of comes with the package when you're talking about Lutus Grail Jr. But you do like to, you do miss a bit of the power, right? I mean, sure, he's good for a grand slam every couple months, but uh, <laughs> but you would like to see him hit the ball over the fence a little bit more. Yeah, although, I don't know, maybe there's, people talk a lot about the lack of versatility in the lineup stylistically or handedness-wise. Maybe a different version of Guriel is is that uh, that little bit of versatility there. Um, the offense has not been great of late. 17 runs over the last seven during this one and six stretch. Uh, but Drew, understandably, a lot of the chatter has been about the pitching side of things because... Hyunjin Ryu is out for the season. Yusei Kikuchi is on the phantom injured list. Uh, and they're rotating through guys like Anthony Bonda and Casey Lawrence and Thomas Hatch. Um, let's let's play out a scenario here where Kevin Gosman isn't available to start on Sunday. His bullpen today doesn't go as well as they hoped. His ankle's not ready. Uh, what What is the succession plan 
behind Gosman then? Is it Platinum Max Castillo? What's uh, what's your feel on what the Jays would do if Gosman can't go Sunday? I think the, what the Jays will do if Gosman can't go on Sunday is panic. I think and, that's what and, everybody and lose. Do. And lose, rend your garments, gnash your teeth. Uh, <laughs> you know, they, they, they don't have the luxury. I, I was of the opinion they didn't even have the luxury to kind of do what they've done with Kikuchi. Because I was the, surprised the as well. Yeah, the cupboard is bare. They don't have a lot of, else to go on. And, and as you mentioned, if it is Max Castillo, if they do, you know, try to get, you know, put Casey Lawrence in the best situation to succeed as they attempted to last night, um, they're really up against it. And and the wild card in there, of course, is is which Barrios is going to show up when it's his turn again next time. So they're in a tough spot. And yeah, sure, the offense hasn't scored any runs, but the starting pitching is the priority right now. And if that means that they end up, you know, pulling the trigger on some kind of hasty trade or, or looking to see who is the 2022 version of, of uh, Edwin Jackson, that's just <laughs> kind of floating around in the ether of the baseball universe and just plop them down there and hope for the best. Um, you know, that that's what they, that's a worst case scenario that has so many more implications for the 40 man roster and so on and so forth. So, uh, no pressure, Kevin Gossman, but uh, boy, it sure would help if you could pitch on Sunday. So in terms of starting pitching market, um, you probably haven't seen this guy throw a lot because he's mostly West Coast, but um, there's a, an angel named Shohei Otani. Mm, mm, yes. Could solve a lot of this. It's just like, it, it's a thing I'm going to have to bring up every time you're on the show now. Um, would they, you know, if you're trying to acquire Jose Quijada, would they throw Shohei Otani in is, is the question you got to ask. <laughs> Well, look, the Angels have to do something. They're, they are like in the world, they're in a world of hurt. And there's no reason that Shohei Otani would re-sign there unless they are willing to pay so far above and beyond what anybody else can offer. I mean, while his agent said he wants to be the highest paid player in the game, well-deserved. But, you know, he's, we've, he's seen, we've seen from him in the past, even just the way that this whole thing worked out. He's not wired the same way that, we, that a lot of the us are. He's not wired just for money, um, you know. To do what he's done, he's just he's built different, as they say. <laughs> so the Angels got to do it. I mean, they they have to entertain it, and the offers for for a year and a half of Shohei Otani will be wild. And I am here and ready to, to say <laughs> insane things. Like I, if they said Alejandro Kirk and you know whoever else, I would say yes. I wouldn't. I wouldn't even bat my eye. I'm sorry, we love you, Captain Kirk, but. Uh, this is a different kind of thing. So, you know, I, I, I really can't see, you know, I, it, the reason the Angels won't trade him is because the Angels should, and they just can't help but do the wrong thing at all times. So, but I mean, it would, it's, it's, it's quite literally too perfect for the Blue Jays. Joey <laughs> Otani is too perfect for the Blue Jays. Yeah, you need rotation help. You need someone who can miss more bats. You need a left-handed bat to diversify the top of the order. Well, what if one guy did it all? Uh, oh boy, uh, that's fun to think on. In terms of more realistic targets, are there are there names out there that that have floated to the top of you? I know you said the Edwin Jackson type. I, I think kind of Jose Quintana is like this year's Edwin Jackson, where the performance is up a little bit. He's in a non-competitive situation, not making a lot of money. But are there? Let, let's focus on the the starters. You know, someone who could fill the Stripling role and let you bump Stripling back to the the bullpen or something like that. Are there names that have stuck out to you? That's it's tough because the 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 makeup of the 
the trade market has changed so quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, if probably the last time when you and I spoke, I'd, I'd be eyeing up, you know, guys on the Mariners. I, yeah. was, I was thinking, well, what if Ken Giles comes back healthy and, and Seattle needs to move him? Well, I, somehow now I don't think that's quite as realistic. Same thing with the with the White Sox, for example. If yeah. the White Sox are down and out, what kind of moves are they going to make? This is the you other know, cost of the Jays not being as good and not putting some of these teams away is you let them hang around the race longer and take them off the trade market. Exactly. And, and I mean, uh, you know, Luis Castillo obviously is the kind of name that's, that's high up there, I think, for a lot of different folks. Uh, uh, you know, the, Mar- the Marlins are in a weird spot. They have so much talent. They have guys mm-hmm. that they can definitely get a, get a lot for. Team's a bit of a disaster, but, but you know, you know, obviously not Alcantara, but some of the, uh, what's his, uh, Pablo Lopez. Lopez. Pablo yeah. Lopez. Like, that's a great arm, but the Marlins, they're going to look for maximum output and maximum return for those kind of guys with all those associated with their contract. Um, then the Jays don't have a lot in terms of minor league depth and you know, the, the talented guys who are, you know, mostly far away from the big league. So it's, it's really tough. And, you know, you start to scour like the kind of rental market, but then, you know, that's not really the way the Blue Jays have operated. So sometimes you start to think, okay, well, who's somebody who's out there with a couple of extra years, you know, who is, or who are the pirates currently mismanaging <laughs> that could, that could become a really, you know, interesting. JT Brubaker, come on down. <laughs> uh, you know, here's the, here's the thing that, that I, the day that he signed his contract, I was like, this would be interesting. And that's Marcus Stroman, right? Marcus Stroman mm. is only on a three-year deal. So, you, you know, the, at the end of this year, he'll have just a year and a half uh, of control left, I guess. I believe there's an opt-out into his contract as well. You know, he's been hurt but, uh, and has a, a, a track record here in Toronto. But that's a guy, you know, you, you know how I, much I like Marcus Stroman as a pitcher. And, and, and I like, you know, the whole, his whole vibe probably more than a lot of people. But uh, I'd be very interested to get Stroman back in the mix. Um, but I just don't know if he's, if he's healthy. Because where the Blue Jays are now, they don't, have, they don't have runway to take a flyer on somebody. Right. You know, like they need someone who can come in and help. Yeah, even so, the Frankie Montes thing where he's now, you know, a weird kind of nebulous shoulder thing. It's like, do you even look at that that seriously if he can't make a couple starts before the deadline? Exactly. And so because, because the need is now. And and the need is not not only production, but but health has got to be a part of that. The way that they've had to dive so deep down into the depth chart, um, you know, you're you're looking for a bit more stability. You're looking to sort of to, to to raise the floor on what you're getting because what we've seen through this skid with the Blue Jays is when there is no floor, when there is no you know even just baseline of mediocrity that's coming from some of these starts, you it, it has all these you know knock on effects that are really. Um, starting to rear their head, and I mean the bullpen for the for the most part has sort of not been the problem, you know, of late. Well, I mean they're not exactly pitching in the highest <laughs> leverage situations, but but a lot of those guys uh, look a little bit better. Um, and then you know it's good to see Trevor Richards back and, and pitching uh, pretty well in some in some low leverage spots. Um, you know, obviously having Sergio Romo come in do some sort of a similar job. Uh, so the 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 bullpen's not the worst thing. So. Uh, in terms of trades, I don't know. I, I wish I had a cooler name to like throw out at you, but uh, but it's just one of those things where there are so many things to balance. And the usual Jay's mo of you know thinking long term and, and getting guys who have some control or some guys they think they could they could sign at longer term. Um, I'm not sure if it applies right now. Need a little, uh, little less long-term control, a little more flex fly forever there. Uh, as much as I would love to see Marcus Stroman inducing infinite ground balls to Matt Chapman, um, mm. let's say that 
that's not realistic. And let's say they do have to focus on the bullpen because, like you said, even though the bullpen performance hasn't necessarily been bad, it can always improve, and maybe that's what the market provides. Do you have any level of confidence that Yusei Kikuchi can figure out whatever's going on with Yusei Kikuchi and his lack of trust in his fastball um, this year? Like, like Kikuchi's not going to stay on the Phantom IL forever. They don't have the starting pitching depth for that. Um, could you see a scenario where Kikuchi bounces back and gets in, gets back in the trust tree, so to speak, or, or are you pretty out on Kikuchi, where Kikuchi's at right now? I think it'd be crazy to be out on Kikuchi just because his stuff is so good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and because it does seem like there's just that one little piece that just needs to kind of snap into place um, in the infinitely complex, you know, inner workings of a, of a, any, any pitcher, any athlete, any person that, but there's that aha moment has got to be in there um, with somebody who's just talented and, and also somebody who seems as, as willing to do the work. Right, who, who who's not the sense the sense you get when you hear what, what folks around the team say or what the player what the players at the coaching staff says he, he's there to do the work. It doesn't seem like he's stubborn and it's like, well, I know best, and I'm just going to try to you know throw it through you know the, the what do they say what AJ Burnett million dollar arm and the ten cent head or whatever <laughs> like just trying to throw it through the backstop, throw it through the catcher and embarrass the batter. It's not it's not that, but I, I think uh, I think Stolz made the point a couple times that when you look at the timeline, you know. The, and you compare, say, Robbie Ray and his experience with the Blue Jays kind of pitching team, such as it is. Um, Kikuchi is still really compressed, didn't have a full spring, didn't have, you know, a lot of time to build up and sort of implement changes that might take, might need to be done, you know, kind of one at a time. Uh, it's, if, if it was so simple as just, you know, Matt Bushman whispering, hey, <laughs> you should throw strikes, then that's what would have happened. But that's what but they did for like, Robbie Ray. Why can't you do that to Yusei Kikuchi? <laughs> But they did it with Robbie Ray after like a, uh, the half season in 2020, and then the, all the buildup, you know, beforehand. So, you know, it, it, a little bit more time, a little bit more runway could make the difference. Uh, but that said, you know, we talked about it, I talked about it with 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 Ricky Romero on on our show this week, and he kind of reminded of, him, of himself at sometimes. Now, Ricky obviously had injuries and physical things that kept him from doing the thing that he needed to do, kept him from from being able to throw strikes. And you hope that's not the case with Kikuchi right now, but. Uh, you know, there's only the, the idea of trusting your stuff, I guess, is can only go so far. But um, I, I think you, I think you'd be crazy to, to, to count him out. I also think that you'd be crazy to put up the bullpen. Unfortunately, um, it's just like the idea of maybe you have. Well, what if we used an opener for Kikuchi? And it's like, well, when Kikuchi's on, nobody can touch him. It's, if the, the, the seven, eight, nine hitter on the on the A's are more than capable of standing there watching him throw it all over to the backstop. <laughs> And they, getting they, hit they with don't it. Need to be, they are getting hit with it. Yeah, they don't need to be selective if, if they're not competitive pitches. So um, I, I'm, I'm, I think there's opportunity for patience with Kikuchi. Uh, fortunately, the timing of all this is, is really not good. And um, that Blue Jays are right now and just the state of things around him where if it was, if he started the season this way and that we, he had a, he suffered from a, that stiffness in, you know, mid early uh, and there was, and the offense was going, or they're winning all these one-run games. Whatever was had already happened this season. Then maybe I'd be like, yeah, let's have some patience. And he, he deserves patience. The Jays, the Jays uh, pitching team with Bushman and Walker and all the the quants and the video guys and everybody, um, they deserve patience too. But the uh, the problem is the Blue Jays in 2022 in the real world. 
don't have the opportunity for patients. They need results and they need them right away. Yeah, uh, this is the thing. And it's it's one thing to be patient with one thing, but Hyunjin Ryu is also out for the season and Ross Stripling can only give you so many innings. And uh, Jose Barrios, like you mentioned, has had some ups and downs as well. So it's all it's all kind of magnified and you need stuff to click into place now, what they need is someone who, like you did today, can come through on short notice and fill in. Uh, Drew Fair Service, really appreciate it, man. Keep up all the great work at the Spin Rate Podcast with Ricky and with Caitlin. Uh, thanks so much, man. I'm always happy to make a spot start. Yeah. Yeah, the opener, Drew Fair Service, although closer in this case. Uh, have a great weekend, man. Thank you. Drew Fair Service, Spin Rate Podcast. Wanted to ask him there, just, you know, how cool is it to here you are and you're doing a podcast with Ricky Romero. I know how I feel when Ricky Rowe comes on our show. Uh, it's pretty cool. The Jays continue their series against the Mariners tonight. It is Ross Stripling on the mound. As a reminder, that game's not televised on Sportsnet. This is an Apple TV Plus game. Steven Nelson, Hunter Pence, Katie Nolan, uh, Apple TV Plus. You can free preview it to check out the game. Ben Wagner will have the call for you on the Sportsnet Radio Network. 10 o'clock. It's a late one. What are you going to do? Uh, tomorrow is the marquee game of this series, though. And I know every game feels like a lot right now because the Jays dropped 6 to 7. Robbie Ray against Alec Manoa tomorrow. Whew. Not many. Look, the wrestling fan in me wanted uh, wanted Ray versus Gosman. That's the, that's the true storyline, the long-term storytelling, the payoff there. Maybe that's a wild card series start. I don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe this is even longer term storytelling and you don't want to, you don't want to use it on a Monday night raw when summer slams around the corner. Uh, we'll see, but Robbie Ray against Alec Manoa, that's a real fun one. And then fingers crossed, Kevin Gosman's able to start on Sunday. The bats getting going could help out a lot. And I know the Jays have been down early and often and Dan Schulman spoke to us earlier and, and mentioned he does think that has an impact on, on the hitters but you're on the road you get the hit first you've only scored 17 runs over the last seven games time to get it going for that Jays order uh, it is time for us to get going and kick it over to Ben Ennis for drive time Kevin Biggio coming on with him in a little bit here uh, so you have that to look forward to in maybe about 20 minutes um, stay tuned in for that We've been Jays Talk Plus. Thank you to Drew Fair Service, to Dan Shulman, to Hanif Abdurraqib for all coming on. Um, fun chats today. Thank you to JR and Derek behind the glass. A little bit of a chaotic day here, uh, if you know what I'm talking about. Um, but we made it. We got through Jays Talk Plus. Oh, Show Ali has Jays Talk for you post game tonight, by the way. Another late night for Show. Hopefully, he has something more positive to talk about and better, better more optimistic calls on the phone line because that poor guy's gotten a lot of negativity this week filling in for Blair and Barker post game. We've been Jay's Talk Plus. We'll be back Monday. I'm Blake Murphy. Have a great weekend, everyone. Ben Ennis, Drive Time, Kevin Biggio next on Sports at 590 The Fan.